Good morning, everyone. My name is Phil, campus pastor of CLCC Aldergrove, and I'm amped that we are one church in multiple locations, worshiping and growing and learning together. I want to throw a special I love you to everyone in Aldergrove. You're, ama- you're amazing. You're amazing. Now let's all dig in together. Last week, we started a series called The Devil, uh, or the the truth about lies. Today, my message is called The Devil Made Me Do It. And we have been talking about this idea that the church is at war against lies. And it's been that way since the beginning. The Apostle Paul wrote it like this of Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Let's get into this together. In 1891, Alan Bono was murdered. During an argument with his tenant, 18-year-old Arne Cheyenne stabbed him with a pocket knife, the first murder case in Brookfield, Connecticut. More notably, this case was the first in the American court system to build a legal defense around the claim, the devil made me do it. Now, this mysterious situation was eventually overturned, but it raises a difficult issue. It's really hard to explain why we do the awful things that we do. And I'm, I know there are times in my life where I'd like to say, I don't know what I was doing. The devil made me do it. Paul said it like this, I don't understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. Well, I'm not suggesting that Paul or, you know, all of us by extension are somehow coerced into doing evil against our will. Scripture seems clear that there is a spiritual world at work that we need to be aware of. Ephesians 6 talks about this. How can we begin to make sense of how this happens? Today, we're going to be thinking through how the devil operates, and we're going to start with this, uh, this concept. He starts by creating a deceptive idea. There's this movie that came out in the 90s called The Usual Suspects. It's amazing. You need to watch it. One of the taglines in the movie was, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to convince the world that he didn't exist. I think that this is uh, a cool statement because part of the reason the devil is such a successful liar is that typically his lies are reasonable. He is not going to start with burning the world down. He is going to plant a seed of half-truth that if we can believe that it's reasonable or rational, we typically don't deeply investigate the origins of that idea. Uh, Have you ever been told something that seemed totally okay but turned out that an application took you to some weird places. How about in the dating world and the idea that you need to experience living together or perhaps sleeping together in order to find out if you are compatible? What sounds reasonable, you know, you know your quirks, your habits, it sounds reasonable, but it quickly turns into a painful game of unmet expectations and and comparison. You know, perhaps you go from person to person trying to find the perfect match. What sounds reasonable at the beginning often ends up leading to a lot of heartache. 
Today we're going to be talking about the deception of Satan and how we can begin to defend ourselves against this subtle lie. And to do that, we're going to go to ground zero when it comes to the biblical story of sin. We're going to start in Genesis 3 verse 1. You can read along with me down below. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You certainly will not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now let's get some context for this passage. How do we get to this place? Genesis chapters 1 and 2 tells the, the creation story. And in this creation story, God makes the world and everything in it, and he deems them good. And in the Garden of Eden, he is present with creation. Furthermore, you know, God gives humanity free will to rule over creation alongside him with love and dignity. Now, this counters this idea. Uh, I think it's called dualism. This idea that fixed in the universe that there's good and bad in everyone and, and, and we're balancing the good and evil in, in the world. Uh, that's not what the biblical story says. We can get hung up on this idea that like, I just have bad in me. But, but according to God, that creation was good. That humanity is good. Well, what went wrong? This is where we pick up in Genesis 3, where we learn that there is a spiritual adversary. In fact, Satan is, is, literally means the adversary. Here's our clue. The snake was more crafty. This is a clue to the unique nature of Eden. You know, when heaven meets earth, spiritual beings and earthly beings coexist. This is more than just a mere serpent talking. It's a spiritual being. And he tricks Adam and Eve into eating the fruit. And in eating this fruit from this tree, humanity chooses to rebel against God, introducing sin into the world and forcing a separation between us and God. In fact, we read in, in, in the third chapter that Adam and Eve hid. They hid from God. They were filled with shame and guilt. Perhaps you've wrestled with the feeling that you aren't good enough or that you could never be good enough. This is the distortion of sin. In all of the various ways that we choose ourselves over God and others, it creates this barrier, this guilt, and this shame. Now, in a Genesis 1 and 2 ordered world, we are good and valued and in relationship. But in the disorder and sin of Genesis 3, creation is infected with sin. And it's created from the seed of Satan. And it starts with this phrase, did God really say? We're going to investigate that a little more deeply. Did God really say? Now let's interact with the narratives being presented. In Genesis 2, we have God's narrative. Let's, let's read this. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Here we get this story, this idea that we have great freedom with boundaries. 
Order brings life, and life has so many good things. Now, I know people are going to hate me for this, but I don't drink coffee. I, I don't like the taste, and I know you're going to tell me that I should acquire a taste. It's an, it's an acquired taste, but here's the truth. I shouldn't have to acquire a taste for something. There are so many good things. There's so many good options for beverages. I don't need to drink coffee, but even in this extreme buffet of options, you know, I probably shouldn't drink gasoline. <laughs> Not everything is beneficial, you know? We have lots of freedom, but definitely some boundaries. And that's good for us. It keeps us alive. You know, when I play sports, it's the rules of the game that make it really pop out and really, really shine, where creativity and teamwork and skill come into play. You know, when we order our lives around God, they come alive, our lives come alive with his presence. In 2 Corinthians, we read that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This is God's narrative, freedom with boundaries. Genesis 3, notice how the serpent changes the story. Satan's narrative is, did God really say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? We go from a God of freedom to a God of restriction. And this is where Satan initiates his lie. And this is the framework of all lies. Did God really say, this is the seed that he plants. We get this idea and all of the various ways that we can interact with this, that God is trying to hold us back. What's more, Satan is, is tempting us to twist God's words away from God's will. Now, this is a subtle trick. We need to resist reading our own will or reading Satan's will into God's words. Otherwise, we can get into all sorts of trouble. It's where we need to ask, what did God really say? Let's go back to our dating example. So the Israelite people in the biblical story were forbidden adultery. It was baked into the Ten Commandments. So as a loophole, they found all sorts of reasons to divorce their wives, to find someone new when it suited them. Now, Jesus pushed back strongly against this, claiming that it came from a hardness of heart. You know, lifelong monogamous intimacy is a challenging discipline. And it's easy to say, did God really say that you can only sleep with one person? And from that, we can impress our ideas and our wills to explore our own thing. And we can read God's words wrongly when we're consumed by our own will. We just, just begin to say, you know, it's just the way I am. Or, you know, we get so caught up. We say, the devil made me do it. But did we take the time to find out what God really says? When we don't do that, all sorts of heartache and shame and guilt ensue. And it's what happens when we try to jam our will into God's word. And this is the lie that Satan initiates. Did God really say is an appeal to our desire to do things our own way. That, that statement, it's an appeal to our desire to do things our own way. In, in one way, it's an attempt to make us question God's authority and goodness. And this can come in many forms. You know, shouldn't you be able to decide on your own what's right and wrong? Shouldn't you be able to do what you feel is natural? You know, you deserve this. Does God really know what's best for you? The offer that Satan is making is to rule the world like God, but by our own wisdom. 
The serpent said, you will be like God. And this idea is freedom without boundaries. And we don't want to go there. But the challenging thing, and the reason why this is challenging, is because living in obedience to God, we don't always get the why. And when we don't get the why, why are we doing this? We tend to build our own rationalization for our decisions. And that's when things begin to fall apart internally. And we go um, for anywhere from being our own gods where we choose right is right. And maybe when that blows up in our face, we blame someone else for what we've done wrong. There's this spectrum when we live in that space between I can do what I want and the devil made me do it. I was compelled. I had to. Here's where I think we need to land on in some ways. We don't get to decide what is good and evil. Boundaries are for God to give. You know, we don't get to decide what is good and evil. You know, we are terrible at it. You know, if human history has proven one thing, it's that we need something greater than us to govern us because we've proven utterly unable to govern ourselves. We are so inconsistent and biased and our attempts often come at the expense of others and ourselves. We need to trust that God is consistent, that he loves justice, that he acts mercifully, that he loves his creation and is working for our good. And in trusting God, we discover that he gives us some boundaries, that he gives us some limits, but great freedom. Here's the good news. God doesn't give us boundaries to hold us back. God gives us boundaries to hold us close He doesn't give us boundaries to hold us back, but to hold us close. The truth is that freedom isn't doing whatever you want. That's chaos. Freedom is living in the presence of the one who orders and sustains all of creation, who is the source of all beauty and love and life. And we can have a relationship with this God. He sets himself up as our father. And so we trust that his ways are higher than ours and his thoughts are higher than ours. When we set ourselves up as God, we encounter this disordered chaos and it's there we discover loneliness and emptiness, not the completeness and harmony we were hoping for. But this does put us in challenging situations. There are going to be times where we don't understand the why. Not everything that God asks is going to feel intuitive or natural to us. Definitely not at first. This is where we exercise faith to trust him. A good place to start is remembering that God loves you deeply and he wants to be in relationship with you. What he is asking of us comes from a desire for closeness and wholeness and freedom not to hold us back. What was something that you used to think was wrong, but now is okay? Or maybe it's the inverse. What used to be something you thought was okay, but now you think is wrong? Is this because you've tested it against the revealed word of God? Or is it because we've determined for ourselves that it's okay now? What did God really say? Did God really say that? Or did someone else? You know, we don't want to live a life that's always pushing against God's boundaries, you know, feeling like the devil made us do it. We were compelled to do wrong. 
We want to be aware of how Satan is twisting God's words and planting lies in our lives. How can we avoid pushing past these boundaries and finding freedom in God's presence? We can do it in a couple of ways. First, we can submit to the Father's will. This is what Jesus did in the wilderness, and we read this in Matthew 4. He's constantly saying, not my will, Father, but yours be done. We can look to the promises of God, and we can know that Satan is defeated. We don't have to be bound to sin. Evil had a start point, and it has an end point, and we can rest on that promise, and we can accept the covering of Christ. You know, through Jesus, we re-engage into the presence of God. We, he brings us into his family, and we start a whole new journey of wholeness. God covered Adam and Eve, and Jesus covers us by his work on the cross. So here's our question for the day. What used to be something that you thought was wrong, but now is okay? Or maybe the inverse. What used to be, what is something that you thought was okay and now is wrong? Is that because you've tested it against God's words or you've made your own determination? Why don't we pray together? Dear Lord, we thank you that you desire to be present with us. And we thank you that you created this world good and beautiful and that you gave us meaning and dignity and value. God, we believe that we discover that in relationship with you. We wanna discover your freedom. And so we're gonna live according to your ways. I pray that you would guard our heart against the lies of Satan that is luring us to determine what is good and evil in our own eyes. Teach us to be rooted in you, to be deeply rooted in your love. And when we are deeply rooted, we discover the height, the depth, the width of your love for us. And that's where we want to live. That's where we want to live. We thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take this thing home. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes this. We demolish 
arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. There's this dude named Thomas Aquinas who was a scholar and a monk in the 13th century whose greatest work was the blending of theology and philosophy over the course of his life. Now, he had this idea that God can be known. And as image bearers of God, with senses and rational minds, humanity can know him to be reality. You know, broadly speaking, Aquinas believed that our intellect and our reason and our will kind of served like a gateway into our soul and into our being. And our reason and our will is a powerful thing, but it's not something that is supposed to be bent towards control or self. Our being is at its most free and happy when we turn it towards God's purposes and his kingdom. When we live in obedience to God, we are becoming more human, not less human. There's this fancy term, or fancy concept anyways, in the Christian world called revelation. And this concept interacts with the ways that God reveals himself to us. For our purposes here, It is through this revelation that we can come to know what is true. What is the word of God? Now, this journey of taking captive every thought is to use our reason to hold it up against the ideas of this world. We're going to have lots of ideas and lots of thoughts and desires that that come up into our culture and into our personal life, and we need to test them against the word of God. We believe that God's word can be known in a couple of ways. First, it can be known through the revealed word in the person of Jesus. Then it can be known in the written word of scripture and the proclaimed word of the teaching of the church uh, uh, in its traditions and its preaching. These three things can serve as central touch points for us to guard against the lies of Satan and keep us in that place where his will is lifted up over our will and where we can experience his goodness and his freedom in our lives. Let's read over our doxology. In Romans 11, uh, verse 33, we read, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's discover his freedom this week. Take care, everyone.